Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So this was great news for Isaiah and the seraphim coming with the live coal, but the seraphim only came to Isaiah after Isaiah had confessed his sin of unclean lips. First, he had to confess his sin. If he didn't confess his sin, there's no remedy for him. No confession, no seraphim. No confession, no live coal from off the altar. No confession, no taking away Isaiah's sin and his, of his unclean lips. Nothing happened without Isaiah confessing his sin. It reminds me of that's Friday, the child evangelism booth at Del Mar Fair. The two kids came in. One's a seven-year-old brother, and then the sister, the sister, she's five years old, with their parents. So the two kids sit in front of me, parents sit on the sidelines, the umpires. Anyway, so they sit right in the front of me, and then I came to the part, you know, of all have sinned, and then I asked them, did you ever do anything wrong? Oh, instantly, both of them shook their heads, said no. And then they look back at their parents with the, no, not me, I'm a good little boy. No, not me, I'm a good little girl. You know, that, those kind of looks, you know. Well, I'm stuck, I can't go on. You know, you can't go on. I mean, no, no confession, no seraphim, no confession, no altar, no confession, no taking away sin. Gotta be no confession, no salvation. Without confession, no gospel. Because the only person that's saved, according to 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, is that, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous, so I was stuck. So I looked at them and I said, with my evil eye, you know, have you ever told a lie? You know, like that, you know. And the little boy, he frowns and gets this distressed look on his face, says yes. And then I turned to the little girl, I tried the same thing as his sister, you know, I said, have you ever told a lie? And she goes, mm-mm. You know, looks back at her mom, see, not me, I'm good, you know. <laughs> so couldn't go on, you know. And I said, never. She goes, nope, mm-mm, you know. Well, that was just like too much for her brother to sit there and hear this. So he spoke up and said, she told something that wasn't true. Now, I don't know what it was, but it was obvious that what he was referring to, she knew. Because then she said, mm-hmm, <laughs> like that, you know. I said, so you told a lie? She goes, mm-hmm. Okay, now it could go on, then it could go on and explain the Lord Jesus died for the lies they told. And then I could go on and say, because until they admitted that they told the lies, there's no good news for them. There's no gospel for them. They had to first admit that they sinned. And that's the way it was for Isaiah. He had to admit, he had to confess that he had his the unclean lips before he could get that live cold to take away his sin. And that's the way it was for these two little kids that were in the booth. And then when I led them in the sinner's prayer, I led them to pray. I led them to pray, 
Please forgive me for the lies I have told, and thank you for dying for the lies that I have told. No sin and no personal salvation, which is what the Lord is saying, what it says in 1 John 8, 1 John 1, 8. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the, this is the picture, the person who says he has no sin, this is the picture of the adulterous woman of all people, the adulterous woman in Proverbs 30, verse 20. Proverbs 30, verse 20, it says, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. There ain't nothing wrong with what I've done. Okay, so here again, the Lord makes it very simple to not fall into this trap of swearing, and he says, he says in verse 37, let's make it simple. Let your communication be yay, yay, nay, nay, whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So here the Lord, what he's saying here, he said, look, if you really want, I know what you're trying to do, you know, by using all these adjectives and by using, you know, bringing in heaven and so forth. It's don't do that. If you want to emphasize something, just say yes, yes, and just say no, 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 that's enough, nothing more. Because if you do anything more than that, it's coming from a source. And he says in verse 37, he identifies a source. Whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Well, you know, and, and what is that evil that he's talking about? It cometh of evil. It's either our own evil nature, right? If you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, it's either coming from our own evil nature or worse, from the devil, but it's certainly not of God. Now, the Lord moves on to another misunderstanding in the law. In verse 38, they've been wrongly taught, where it says in verse 38, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, what's so interesting about when he says, you have heard that it hath been said, is here, you know, he says that what he did not say. He did not say, as he had with other teaching before, he has said, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. He didn't say that. He didn't say that by them of old time, like he did in verse 32, which referred to the application of uh, what we just talked about, third commandment, or like he did in verse 27, when he referred to the commandment to not commit adultery, or verse 21, the commandment to not murder. He says, you have heard that it's been said of them of old time. But this time, he's saying it just like he said it in verse 31, it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, which refers to divorce, which is not of God, which is God is not for. And so here again, he starts off this verse in the same way, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye. So he's indicating here that what they have heard is not of God, like he did with divorce. When you read this, it stops, you say, wait a second, wait a minute. This statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's in the law. That's in the Bible. It occurs in the Pentateuch, it does. It's actually there three times in Exodus 21:24 and Leviticus 24:20 and Deuteronomy 19:21. Deuteronomy 19:21, for example, it says, "And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot." So, if this statement, "an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth," is found three times in the Torah, why did he not say? you have heard that hath been said by them of old time, which refers to the Bible. 
Why did he just say, you have heard that it's been said, which indicates that's a commandment of man, not of God? Well, the reason he said that is in the next verse 39, verse 39, and the emphasis that he's putting on. I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, and if any man, in verse 40, if any man will sue thee, and take away thy coat, and to let him have thy cloak. And 41, whosoever shall compel thee, verse 42, give him to ask of thee, and for him that would borrow of thee. So all these personal, personal words, you know, the ye, and the thee, and the thy, they're showing here that the law, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, was all being taught to them as something they should do, very personal, to the point where the teaching had degraded down to the level where it was being taught that if somebody takes your eye, you go take their eye. Somebody takes your tooth, you go take their tooth. You take the law into your own hands, and this is not what Moses wrote. All of those instances of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth were not written to the person who suffered the loss, you know, the loss of the eye, the loss of the tooth. Those three times it's written, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, are not written to the person who suffered. They're all written to the judges who were responsible for making the decisions, the magistrates. They're the ones who decided what's gonna happen to the person who took another man's eye or tooth. So the principle of the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth also brought a certain balance because it was a common practice among the nations around Israel that they should take more. You took my eye, two eyes for you, two teeth for you, you know, it was more. So by saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, God was saying to the judges, don't get overbalanced here. Just do what is fair. Don't go beyond what's fair. But the main point of what the Lord is teaching here was that the teaching that the offended person should not take personal revenge. That's the issue. And the Lord's teaching that, on the contrary, the offended person should forgive, should allow himself to be taken advantage of. It reminds me of my friend down in Loretto. He said his son was expelled from school for a day, Alan. I said, why? What'd he do? He's a nine-year-old kid. And he said, well, there was some kid picking on him, so he went and got a stick and went after him and hit the kid with the stick, see? Okay. <laughs> I should tell him he's version. So in other words, how do you do this? Okay, you rely on God who is allowing it to happen, and he'll deal with the offender. In the New Testament, the principle is Romans 13.3, which talks about the government. Romans 13.3, it talks about rulers. Romans 13.3 says, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, this is the ruler, this is the government. This is Roman rulers, Roman government, even. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain. He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So the government, not the individual, is Romans 13.4, 13.4, the revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And as for the offended person, then the principle is Romans 12.19, the chapter before, Romans 12.19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So what he's saying here in verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. 
And Romans 12:17 also goes on. Romans 12:17 says, "Recompense to no man evil." That means don't pay back. Don't pay back, which is exactly what Solomon said in Proverbs 24:29. Proverbs 24:29, he said, "Say not, I will do so to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his works." Going to his work. Don't go down the payback road. O.J. Simpson's going to get out of prison soon, and he said in his Twitter account yesterday, I've got some paying back to do. Say, don't do that. Okay. Now, the same book of Leviticus that said in Leviticus 24.20, like we saw, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that same book, Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus 19.18 says, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. The same book, Deuteronomy, the same book, Deuteronomy, that said in Deuteronomy 19.21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, also says in Deuteronomy 32.35, 32.35, to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. For the day of their calamity, oh, sorry, their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. So when the Lord says now in verse 39, resist not evil, but I say unto you, resist not evil, he's restoring this biblical truth that look, it's the government that takes the eye for the eye and the tooth for tooth. He's the minister of God. But the injured person, not vengeance, just love. And he's teaching the individual to forgive and to leave justice with God. Okay, now that's very easy to say. It's all well and good to say. It's all well and good to read, but when it gets personal to us, how do you do that? That's the question, how? How do you do that? How are we supposed to do that in the heat of, of anger, in the heat of I've been wronged, I've been hurt? How do you do this? Well, it requires a looking higher, a looking to God and seeing God in a certain way. It's a dependence on God, but it's seeing God in a certain way. It requires us to see God as the great allower. He is the great allower. He's the one that allows us to suffer. He says, uh, Proverbs 22, Proverbs 20, 22, he says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. So God is the great allower. He allows this to happen to us, but God is also the great regulator. He's the great regulator. The great regulator is referring to, for example, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 talks about God as the great regulator when it says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. You can almost say there, God is a faithful regulator. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here's Job, and he was clearly wronged by Satan. And behind the scenes, we read, Satan has to go to God and ask permission to harm Job. God says, okay, he's the great allower. And then God gave limits to Satan as to how much he could do. There's God, the great regulator, in Job 1.9. Job 1.9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not thine hand. So Satan went forth. So we look at that and we say, well, that was a little rough for Job. I mean, you know, that's all great. They have this conversation together. But what about Job? That's kind of rough on him, right? He's doing well, praying for his kids. They don't sin. And now all these terrible things are going to happen to him. Why? Because God had in mind Job to become more refined, Job to become stronger in his faith, Job to become wiser and grow. And that's why God the great allower and God the great regulator gave permission to Satan and gave him the limits. So this is what we have to do. We have to see God as the great allower and the great regulator and trust in him. And this setting in the direction to even have a possibility to do what it says in Proverbs 25, 21. Proverbs 25, 21 says, if thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. That means substitution. Substitution of retaliation with love. That's the kind of love that studies the enemy and doesn't say, oh, my enemy is hungry, good, I hope he starves to death, you know? Or it doesn't say, oh, my enemy is thirsty, good, I hope he dies of thirst, no. To the contrary, this is the kind of love that says, oh, my enemy is hungry, I'll cook some food for him. You know, I'm not just gonna buy the McDonald's and shove it at his door. Oh, I'll cook the food for him. He's thirsty, I'll bring him something to drink. Now that the Lord has established who should take vengeance, it's the government, on who wrongs and hurts us, and he tells us our response in verse 39 that you don't resist the evil, now he goes into certain examples. He says, for example, If somebody smites you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now here he's covering three types of offenses. This is the first one. Three types of offenses of when we are wronged and hurt. This is the area which he's calling smite thee on the right cheek. So that's a slap across the face. Anybody been slapped? Never mind. That is pretty dramatic to be slapped across the face. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of having that happen to you. I have. You slapped across the face. It's an injury to the body. Well, you'll recover. But it's really more of an injury to the pride of the person. There's something very offensive about being slapped across the face. It's a personal attack on our bodies. To be slapped across the face, it's more than an injury to the body. It comes as a shocking attack because the face is you. Is you, you are the face, people recognize you by your face. So they slap across the face is a personal offense. And it's not as if the Lord is saying, well, you know, I'm gonna sit up here in heaven in my little easy, my big easy chair, in the safety of heaven, and I'm telling you, just, you know, turn the other cheek and, you know, you, you'll get through it. No, he is speaking to us with the knowledge that he will be slapped across the face. And even worse than that, he has in mind that what's gonna happen to him is Isaiah 50, verse six, Isaiah 50, verse six when he will be the one who will look back on it, say, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. It's worse to have the beard pulled out of your face than to be slapped across the face. But he says, I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. So here's the Lord, he's he's beating on his back and he gives his back. Okay, give you a better shot at the whip. He's having the hairs pulled out of his face and he's turning his face to them so they can do that. He's being spit in his face. He says, I didn't hide my face. I won't hide my face from you. So he calls on his followers now to do that and turn the other cheek to be slapped. How are we supposed to do that? Again, how are you supposed to do that? Okay, 1 Peter 4.19. 1 Peter 4.19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God 
commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. First of all, suffer according to the will of God. And again, is to see, this is God allower, great allower, great regulator. He says, the will of God, don't resist it. Number two, commit the keeping of their souls. Let's just see ourselves as in the hands of God. Just as the Lord said when he died, those were his dying words in Luke 23, 46. Luke 23, 46, Jesus had cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. They looked at him and said, oh, I see a cross, it's terrible. He's being, but the Lord said, no, those are the hands of God that I'm surrendering myself into. It's gonna deliver me. Then third, the keeping of their souls. In other words, he has put so much investment into our souls through the cross. It says in Psalm 121.3, Psalm 121.3, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee shall not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Number four is to see God as a faithful creator, a faithful creator. He made us, he made us. He cares for us, he cares for us because he made us. And he started out our lives by creating us, and we ruined it with sin. But he stepped in and says, okay, I don't reject you. I die on the cross for you. So he will finish it. See him as the faithful creator, which is the concept of Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, which says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He finishes what he starts. He starts with creation. He proceeds to redemption and then he'll keep as a faithful creator. And he says, in John 10, he goes through a lot of emphasis here when he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now he turns to the next area of hurt, the next area of wrong, the next area of hurt, and it says in verse 40, if any man sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak off. So now this is the lawsuit. But really, this is the, the offense on possessions, on what, what we have. You know, being sued is very offensive, especially when the judge reaches a verdict, like, I can't believe he decided that, and you feel it's not fair, and talking about it, where the person ends up having to give his, it says coat, but it really means shirt. Give his shirt, and the second word says cloak, it really means coat. Okay, so the Lord is saying that, look, when the judge awards your opponent your shirt, give him your coat. So this is the offense against our property. And first the slapping on the cheek is on the body, and now it's on the property. And the concept here is you view your property as from the Lord. And I remember one time when, I think I told you this one, Deanna and her husband Reuben and I, we were in Tijuana and there was no parking space. And so a person who had apartment and a little driveway was selling his driveway as a parking space. So we, okay, fine, how much is that? 50 pesos, two and a half dollars, okay. So then we come back to pay it, and Reuben accidentally gave him 500 pesos, $25. And of course, he did a Houdini and disappeared very quickly, you know. So they were in the car realizing the man just cheated Reuben, and he took the $25, we said to Reuben, Reuben, get out of the car, go after him, try to find him. And Reuben said, it's okay, he probably needs the money. Okay, <laughs> very good attitude about your property. Next comes the offense of being forced to do something, forced to do something in verse 41. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with them twain, go with them twain. That's another area. And then the last area he speaks of in verse 42, give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow thee, turn not away. This is the offense from the so-called friend you know, that keeps, keeps taking things from you. But again, he says, see God 
as the great allower, the great regulator, and the great provider, he will save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for how our Lord Jesus covered all these areas in our lives that really are personal. They really apply to us. So we thank you, Lord, for taking the time to speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 